Welcome everyone to the Mega Pickles. I'm Chris. I'm here with my dear friend Bruce. Hello, Brucey. Hey, buddy boy. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Hey, you know, looking at your video, you have some really beautiful diffused light coming in across your face there. I mean, technically speaking, you'd be sitting Easy. there. You'd Easy. be sitting there in cross light, Bruce. Yeah. I got I got, I got a little key to my left. I got a little kicker fill to the right. It's it's you know I God you know dang he's, he's just, a good looking guy. I'm just looking at my playback. Hey, oh, hey. we both are good looking guys. Yeah. Hey, you know we've been talking about just in that just in that little few seconds we've been talking about direction of light. We've been talking about quality of light. We actually have been talking about quantity of light too, and that's exactly what this episode is. It's part three in our lighting series. We've talked in the previous episodes about getting your first lights. We've we've even talked about uh, we've even talked about illuminating your subjects. Um, part one of lighting. So, Bruce, why don't you why don't you Start us off, and let's talk about uh, quality of light. How about that? Yeah, um, it, it really comes down to whether or not the light is uh, contrast casts contrasty and crispy shadows, or whether whether they're they're more diffused in the transition between the illuminated side of the three dimensional object you're photographing and the shadow side. Um, you know, we, we're in a 3D world. There's lots of dimension to what we see out there. And as photographers and filmmakers, we're reducing it to a uh, two-dimensional version of that. But we maintain the, the, the sense of it uh, through the, the sense of the dimensionality through, through the uh, um, character of the light. And we'll just talk about this uh, character as uh, a, a way that you help to define whether your subject is something that is super dramatic, sort of soft and ethereal. There's a lot of adjectives I could use to describe the different ways that light renders the subject, but uh, for the for the most part, uh, you 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 start off by deciding whether you want something that is real snappy and contrasty and has those hard crisp shadows, or if you want it to be a little softer, and I'll I'll just use the word flattering. Um, what is beautiful on a, uh, a, a a male with a bunch of character lines? I mean, guys get away with it. With older and crustier, we get the the more interesting looking. Uh, <laughs> we get away with describing ourselves as, but uh, crusty and, and the ladies, <laughs> yeah, crusty and and the and and no matter what, I always try to just uh, flatter the complexion. Uh, on ladies, I don't worry about that so much on the guys. So that would be a consideration for me is uh, what I'm shooting, uh, whether or not I want the light to be really snappy or whether I want it to be softer and, and more romantic looking. So uh, again, as we always say, you can find this stuff in nature. You can see examples of how it works. The sun is a crisp directional source. It stays that way unless something changes it and modifies it. And more often than not, that's going to be uh, by cloud diffusion, smoke, fog, anything like that can take it from a real hard directional source to one that is more of a canopy of light. If you think about how the light looks on an overcast day, uh, think of that as a diffused light. 
The sun is hitting the back of the clouds and illuminating the entire sky as a source rather than just coming at you from that one little point in the sky. And uh, it can be frustrating and it can be really uh, useful depending on what you're doing. Uh, I, I love an overcast sky if I'm not having to include it in the frame. I mean, you know, if I'm shooting someone and I have my choices of backgrounds, but I'm illuminated by basically a uh, uh, high cirrus clouds uh, diffusing the light, uh, I can kind of shoot in almost any direction, and that's great. Um, it can be really cool. It, it, the sky can be really cool under those circumstances as long as your exposure allows it to be. You know, if you're shooting something where you, you, you don't have to blow out the sky in order to get the uh, principal subject the way you want it, then an overcast sky can be interesting and dramatic and moody, you know. Uh, there's a lot of emotion attached to the different characteristics of light. And, you know, if you're wanting to do something that is, uh, you know, really soft and engaging and, and flattering, then, then a diffuse source is going to be your friend. If you want to shoot something and show a ton of drama, then maybe a more directional and less diffuse source is going to be something you want to work with. How do you see those being applied differently, Chris, in your work? Well, depending on, again, going back to what you said, depending on the situation that I find myself in, whether maybe I'm on assignment or whether I'm I'm just out covering ranch life activity, um, I, I'll give you an example. Just last week, I was covering a band in a bar um, and it, you know, kind of a nightclub bar slash I don't know what you call it, but honky tonk, <laughs> honky tonk. And the light, you know, there, the light is, it is what it is. I don't have any light with me at all. And I have to take what's given in that, in that space. And, and what's given in that space is just hard light. You know, it's what we describe as harsh light. Um, these stage lights that are illuminating the, the band. And what I'm doing is, I'm metering or setting up my exposure based on the light that's falling on the band members. And in this case, the quality of light, I wouldn't say is necessarily the best or flattering on, on them, but I'm also not doing character portraits. You know, mm -hmm. I can zoom in tight on that kind of light and maybe get a head and shoulder shot, which, you know, then I would go into more of a portrait mode and perhaps, mm -hmm. you know, put the light at, uh, you know, in front of me and backlighting them or something like that. But, um, in other situations I find myself in, I'll get out a softbox and use a strobe and then create a soft transition of light, just like I see it on your face now, where you have a very indirect window providing that light that's just crossing your face. And, you know, it, it just creates such a beautiful transition of light, you know, that we would consider soft light. Mm -hmm. But that's, yeah. yeah. You know, you're making reference to the stage light, uh, a fixed situation that you can't really control. Uh, generally, stage illumination is from a fair distance away. You, you can't have a light source in super close to the singer and not block the drummer or the guitar player. So it's always uh, long throw uh, light sources um, because they require efficiency and a 
there's no real good way to throw long distance soft light. Soft light is a yeah. function of working fairly close with a diffusion material. But what you're faced with there is a set of givens that you just have to deal with. Oftentimes there's color gels, which helps it, makes it more fun. But the lighting is very directional. And so what I do in a situation like that is I'm watching the performer. And you'll notice that sometimes when they're doing a particular guitar lick or they're uh, vamping while the, the bass player goes off on a solo, they'll turn and change their relationship to the light. So I'm always mm-hmm. looking for that. And when I note, okay, when the guy looks to his right, it, it's, it's this nice short lighting pattern, edge lit, yep. looks cool, dramatic. I got shadows on this side. It's a highlight composition, looks cool. That's the shot I'm going for. Rather than spraying and praying and going through it later, I'm really trying to observe all the members of the band and seeing what is their specific performance behaviors that move them into the best of this uncontrolled light. So again, we come back to the key thing that photographers, all photographers must possess, which is uh, the superpower of observation, you know, and if your superpower is observation, you figure out pretty quickly, you can shoot anything anywhere. It's a matter of timing and judgment. Well, but, and uh, that also, you know, the power of observation, it, you know, you, you have to learn about that too. You know, you can observe all day long and not know what you're seeing. But once yeah. you understand what you're seeing, you know, now you're in a, I would say, in in a sniping mode that you are. You're waiting for mm-hmm. someone to turn just into that perfect light that you want, mm-hmm. and then you take the picture, mm-hmm. um, which is a great transition into the directional lighting. Yeah, and it, it, for sure I was blending those two things together. Uh, the direction of the light uh, is determined when when you can place the light in relationship to your subject. You know that that's all there is to it. You place the light where it does accomplishes the task that you want it to accomplish, and now you're ready to shoot. Let's say you're outdoors and the the mountain range in the background runs north to south. And so it's going to be always front lit in in the morning light. And it's always going to be heavily backlit in the afternoon light. We saw that when we were running the workshop up in the Tetons. Uh, There are some small ranges that run east to west. And that just gives you incredible shooting all day long because you've got crossing light from the east in the morning, crossing light from the west in the afternoon. But... uh, in situations where you're in natural light, uh, direction is sort of the trail boss. That's the that's that's what dictates pretty much everything. The direction of the light. You've got to decide: Do I want to shoot at cross light, front light, three quarter front light, or as a silhouette? And then you move around in relation. You move yourself and your subject in relation to the light. So yeah, light, lighting lighting direction is uh, is really always one of the top things, the direction and quality. I probably go with figuring out direction first and then the quality of light. I figure out uh, always starting with my backgrounds. Here's what it looks like on the background. Maybe it's kind of crispy back there and not particularly flattering to the human face, but by putting my person in the foreground, my horse and rider in the foreground in open shade and then adding light that has some diffusion, has some characteristic change to it. 
uh, that mimics what's going on in the background. I've done that a lot. I, I, I find that that can be really fascinating. I shoot in the Sedona area and, and, and all the beautiful red rocks around me down here in Arizona. And I, I, I'm always looking for that magic combination of a terrific looking background with buttes and mesas and arches and whatever, and then find some, some shade and then get in there and recreate the direction of the background light but in a more flattering manner. It sounds and, and like people it, don't see it. It sounds like you're works. describing a uh, a double page spread that I just recently had in um, the AQHA journal, where I was doing just that, and they had me on assignment covering a female jockey up here in northern Utah, and the sun was setting behind her. And I had to move quickly. I had brought one of my strobes with me in a softbox. And I had her husband holding the light on camera left. And I metered for the ambient scene that was there as the sun was setting behind her. But, you know, in a character portrait like that, I need to be able to illuminate my subject. I can't, you know, in... In most cases, if I'm out covering ranch activity, I might just turn that into a silhouette because I don't have that light. But with having that artificial light next to me, what I was able to do was illuminate her fully with, um, you know, with some of her jockey gear and her helmet and her goggles and, you know, just light her beautifully against that beautiful ambient light backlight um one of the you know a few of the things that we commonly see out on location as you know very well and as you touched on it already as we see that front light where the sun is at our back we see that backlight where the sun is at our subject's back we see that cross light as well and that cross light being you know maybe we're shooting in a north or south position and it, yeah, it just ends up being such a beautiful, dramatic light on on horse and rider or pretty much anyone that you can put in a situation like that. You know, I, I uh, refer back to earlier, you were talking about, I don't know if it's in this video, another one, you're talking about Courtney holding your light. And then you just mentioned the, working with the jockey and her husband was holding the light. Is that because of your innate fear of light stands? Here we go, everybody, into the Matthews realm. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why you have to have these voice-actuated, meat-based light stands when they're perfectly reasonable, albeit slightly gravitationally gifted uh, aluminum. Mind did you, you not even steal aluminum you say light stands? Meat-based. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Carbon-based, voice-actuated, self, uh, self-motivating uh, camera uh, lighting support. I feel like uh, this is something modules. we need to uh, we need to trademark a meat-based light stand. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it, it, it is certainly it's it is certainly easier to control the direction if you don't have to pick anything up. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but I'll, I'll 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 let it go for now for now. But you know and and, and uh, I I guess our we develop a taste for certain kind of looks. You know, we sure do. certain kind of looks. You know, uh, 
a lot of people consider shooting silhouettes to be something that they get stuck with because they want the beautiful sunset. They want the color of the sunset and the person in front of the sunset. That means they're backlit. So you either accept a silhouette and the beautiful sky, or you add some light in the foreground so that the people don't look falsely illuminated, but look kind of natural somehow miraculously there's this two light source, source. Other than yeah. The sun. <laughs> yeah yeah the second sun rising in the east but you can you can pull it off with some some degree of subtlety i you know i was always pretty dismissive of front light you know mm-hmm. uh but you know I, I i stopped having that bias i just said i'm not going to be like that anymore and I'm looking around and and certainly um light that comes from directly behind the camera has some flattering characteristics as long as it doesn't get too high overhead. If you're in pretty early morning light and you show this beautiful, fresh-faced cow cowgirl uh, walking her horse uh, away from the the horse hauler into the the morning sun, can't imagine anything prettier. It, it's it's it, it feels fresh and and uh, a, a new start to the day. It's got all these great sort of psychological characteristics. Plus, the direct sun uh, would fill in any blemishes or, or any kind of uh, skin pock marks or anything uh, because the light is coming almost from the direction of the lens. There are no shadows visible. So it, it's, a, it's a handsome light. It's been replicated to a great degree by the ring lights that a lot of the uh, you know social media podcasters, uh, influencers are using. Everybody's got a ring light on their camera phone these days and it's because it's you know i I guess you could call it directional so the direction is straight from the lens and any shadows are cast directly behind the the subject but uh people like it it's kind of cyclical in terms of its popularity yeah indeed direct hard front light can come and go that you'll you'll find that there are you know sort of trends uh too it's like you know, everything's got to be soft. Everything's got to be soft. And then all of a sudden somebody zigs when everybody else zags and goes, nope, I'm going to go hard light, very directional. And it looks fresh and new. It, it None of it's new. It goes back to the Dutch masters back in the day when they were figuring out how to light their subjects for their paintings, their portraiture. And so it's, it's all stuff that is well known. But it is sort of fa- uh, influenced by fashion. So I, I'm liking hard and directional light a lot more these days, playing with it again. Because I think that, uh, you, you, I think you mentioned a softbox, uh, changing the characteristic of the light just as the sun comes through the clouds and its characteristics are changed by that diffusion. We can diffuse any light source. All light sources are basically fall off the truck as being very fairly directional and for the most part, undiffused. And uh, the way that you diffuse the light, the, the the relationship of the light to its diffusion and the relationship of the diffusion to the subject, I'm talking distances here, uh, have a great bearing on how the light will look. Uh, it, everybody and their brother sells what's called a softbox or an octobank or, you know, it, it's basically using, uh, I guess, contemporary 
tent, camping tent technology, spring-loaded bars, uh, a fabric frame, a, a fabric housing, and uh, some manner of diffusion material that the light actually escapes through the front. So the light source is no longer the speed light or the little continuous light that's behind the softbox. It's the front fascia of the softbox that is your light source. And if you look at a, a decent-sized softbox, you know, they're quite often three by four rectangles, something like that, or a, a four by six rectangle. It's basically replicating a window light, a north light window light. Uh, I've noticed you use, use strip banks quite a bit because they work really nicely in that edge lighting stuff like that we like they to sure demo. do. But uh, the uh, that I consider to be the light through a cracked door, you know, a partially open door. And and you could go play with those two things, go work uh, shooting in front of a north light window, a window on the north side of the property, uh, and, and in a mostly dark room with an open door with indirect light coming through that. And you can see what the, these banks would do. Uh, so back in the day, we, we manufactured those. <laughs> we would uh, get some foam core and we'd create these little pyramid-shaped boxes. And then on the base of the pyramid, we'd put some sort of diffusion material. And actually, I, I preferred those days to the contemporary time with the prefab boxes because we made all the decisions, all the artistic decisions. When you buy a softbox, it's going to come with what's traditionally known as a one-stop uh, mm. diffuser yep. or a one-and-a-half-stop yep. diffuser, and you lose light. Uh, they tend to be, now uh, that, you know. that diffuser being the front of the softbox. Yeah, yeah, the facing of it. So uh, if you just put if you just put the light inside of a, a, a octagonal or a rectangular shaped uh, environment with some silver walls on it and nothing diffusing it on the front, you've accomplished absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> but but with a diffusing material on the front of it, light some of the light bounces back off the interior of that diffuser, ricochets around inside the box, comes out in a uh, a very, I don't know, I, I want to say directionless manner. It's just, it's coming from a lot of directions from the, the, the face of that diffusion material and it tends to wrap the subject. So it, it, it tolerates a lot more, uh, ineptitude in terms of placement and and that's a plus you can just kind of throw one to either side of your camera generally aim toward your subject and it's not going to be horrible but there's the fine tuning of it whether you waste some of that light don't aim it directly at your subject use the edges of the cone of illumination uh what i was referring to moments ago was uh playing around with different diffusion material I've made a strong case with some of the lighting modifier manufacturers. I think Westcott acted on it uh, a few years back to, and I, I know certainly Chimera uh, has, uh, different diffusion materials for the front. Uh, grid cloth, you start with a full stop silk or one and a half stop silk. You can actually use real silk. You can use uh, grid cloth. Grid cloth being like sail material, like non, non rip stop uh, nylon, a rip stop nylon, yeah. And you can get quarter stop, half stop, eighth stop. So you, they they have greater greater and lesser degrees of light transmission, and uh, the ones that are really uh, very sheer and and don't and, and don't have a lot of density, the light remains sharp but diffused. I mean, if you go out on a day and you, you look up and you've got high cirrus and you can see the sun through there, 
but uh, you don't see it distinctly. That's a very different characteristic of light when you've got heavy overcast. You're mm-hmm. still getting illumination, but you're not getting that cr- semi-crisp source inside of a diffused source. And I loved playing with that. We would stretch material on stretcher bars, and this is a fun thing to do. Go to a local art store and get some wooden stretcher bars. Make yourself a frame, whatever size you choose. Call it two by three feet, or if you want to get really big, four by six feet. And then uh, look at different kinds of materials that you can face that with. You, I, you literally go to Walmart and buy a white shower curtain, uh, that plastic. We use that in Hollywood. You know, you would you would use trace, tracing paper, shower curtain, 216. If you get into one of the uh, uh, filter and, and diffusion manufacturers' uh, uh, website, start looking around, you'll see that there are almost infinite number of diffusion sources, some of which are tinted. So you can have diffusion that warms, you can have diffusion that cools, you can have diffusion that is extremely sheer, you can have diffusion that is uh, pretty darn dense. And all of them create very different looks. So once you've got your frame, you can play with different diffusion material, and then you can play with the distance of the light to that diffusion source. You also don't have to place the light in the center. Almost all light, uh, soft boxes on the market are symmetrical. The, the light is dead center in the diffusion yep. Uh, yep. Uh, of the soft box. I created the asymmetrical strip bank, uh, and it was being sold through FJ Westcott. I don't know if it still is or not. It was knocked off by Profoto. Um, and I put the light one-third of the way through the strip bank. So you had two-thirds of it that was emitting light, but to a less degree than where the light source was in the upper third. So that turned out to be a beautiful light for shooting a bride in a wedding dress because I always liked a fashion skin tone, kind of a bright skin tone. But with a white dress, it's really easy to overexpose it. So by using the asymmetrical strip bank vertically, I could give a little more light on the, the face and it gradually fall off as it went down the dress. Very flattering. If I turned it horizontally and put the uh, part of the strip bank that had the uh, light source in it above the camera and then let the rest of the two-thirds of the soft bank taper off to the right or the left, that added the equivalent of a fill light. So I got a key light and a fill light in a in horizontal mode that uh, off of a single light stand. And I know that would make you happy because there would just be one light stand. But um, <laughs> yeah, so y- y- you you can have a lot of fun with it and actually start to create your own signature style mm-hmm. by getting in there and doing some nuanced uh, investigations of what you can do to change the characteristic of the light. Now, we've know. been we've been talking about the direction of light. We've also been talking about the quality of light. And here as we as we're getting towards the end, why don't we talk real quick about the actual quantity of light, something that we can actually measure. Yeah. So, um with continuous lights, that's a just purely a measurement of either their wattage, their lumens or their candle power. Uh wattage is a terrible measurement of uh light uh intensity it's it's really the amount of electricity used 
when you're looking at the wattage of a continuous uh, source light, you're just talking about its electrical efficiency, how much power it needs to produce whatever it's putting out there. Lumens or candle power are actual measurements of light. So you'll find uh, a confusing array of usage of those terms. But um, I, a, 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 the smallest strobe, a speed light or a small monolight up to the big studio strobes, you've got a ton of quantity. You've got light to be able to go to F16, forget it, F32, F45, F90. You can get into putting out ridiculous amounts of light for yeah. that brief moment. With continuous light, in order to get it to be brighter, it's going to be brighter all the time, you know. So uh, a small continuous source works brilliantly indoors and in open shade. When you get out into bright sunlight, you've got to have a pretty substantially sized continuous source to be able to compete with the sun. The, the latest offering from Light and Motion, which I helped to uh, uh, encourage the development of and and was a beta tester on uh, the Light Motion Stella Pro Reflex, it actually will momentarily double the output of the LED as a pulse. It's not a stroboscopic pulse in that it is, you know, a sudden dump of all the energy into creating light. It is just turning it up brighter. Mm. And those little LEDs, you know, they they're small sources, but they get pretty hot when they're uh, being pushed to produce a lot of light. Uh, but they figured out a way to just have it sync with your camera. Again, you're syncing with your camera like you do with a strobe, but it's just brightening it briefly. So they can actually keep up with a 30 frame per second uh, motor drive capture rate all day long, as long as your batteries hold out. Whereas a strobe, you got to get into a pretty expensive strobe that has so much power that you can turn it down and have it recycle as fast as a motor drive. You know, so if you're talking about a Braun or a Profoto or one of the bigger, badder mamajamas in the strobe scene, you're basically getting into huge number of watt seconds and then turning it way down so that it doesn't require all the energy in the capacitor to give you the brightness that you need. And that, therefore, you're taking that same one big bucket full of energy and pouring it out one cup at a time in rapid succession. But you still empty it, you know. Now, all of that aside, what it amounts to is you don't need a ton of light these days because ISOs have basically become miraculously uh, forgiving. Uh, back when ISO 25, or ASA 25 uh, speed films were commonplace, 64 was considered a medium speed and 400 ISO ASA was as highest you could imagine. You needed a lot of light. But these days, you know, pick a shutter speed, pick an aperture, pick an ISO that works with it. And then, it, it, particularly in dimmer and, and mid-levels of light, continuous sources can easily come in there and accent it, sweeten it. When you need to overpower light is when you really got to go to strobes, I think. You, you can do it with continuous, but you got to have some big lights to do that. That's a great example of the the quantity of light. In fact, using your ISO, and I know we're we're going a little over time here, but using your ISO to compensate for 
the power of the light. We actually did that on our latest photo retreat. And one of the biggest challenges that I see with natural light shooters going to um, uh, artificial light is we get used to in the artificial world, or not in the artificial, but in the natural light world, you know, we can go to high speed shutter and, and, you know, just fire off some shots. But sometimes it becomes a bit more surgical when we're using our strobes, especially when you're trying to work out the timing of somebody jumping through a rope plus the timing of recycling your light and, and, you know, making that all come together for that perfect shot. And, you know, in this particular case, we actually upped our ISOs and reduced the power of the light. So it would recycle sooner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And it's about to a great degree. It's about balance. It's about balancing the scene. Another example that we uh, play with quite frequently is the lighting, the cigar or yes. you know, something where you have a campfire where you, you want to see the flame as orange and red. You don't want to see it as this white shape. If, if the fire is actually your light source for the faces of the people around the campfire, by the time you go to get exposure on them, you tend to overexpose the fire. So that that's a common theatrical trick. You know, the person appears to be illuminated by the fireplace. They appear to be illuminated by the computer screen. They appear to be illuminated by that desk lamp. But in fact, it's another controllable light source that is putting the light where it needs to be on the face and being attributed to the natural light source when in yeah. fact it's doing nothing. It's just there as a pretty face. So on the, that. We- yes. <laughs> yeah. On on that. Now that we have sufficiently confused everybody with lighting now. Just kidding. We we sure appreciate your attention during these uh, photo nerdy episodes because we can go on and on and on about these, but we want to try and make it as digestible as possible for you. We are the Mega Pickles. We are on anchor.fm forward slash the dash Mega Pickles. And we're on Instagram at the underscore Mega Pickles. Make sure to leave us some feedback. Leave us a voicemail on Anchor or a direct message or comment on Instagram would be fabulous. We want to see your images too. So make sure to tag us in those. Bruce, my friend, it's always a pleasure. I learn every time I'm with you, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, listen up, folks. Get a light, play with it. It can be a flashlight, a candle, a lantern, or a proper lighting instrument. But get out there and start messing around with it. You'll learn the most through experimentation. All right. Love you, my friend. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. Love you, buddy. Next time.